2: fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
3: Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey, live every weekday at noon Eastern.
0: The Stanley Cup is golden. Welcome into a June 14th edition of Daily Faceoff Live, recapping the Stanley Cup final. I'm Tyler Ramchek. He's our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, and the show, as always, is brought to you by Patano The game starts now at Batano.ca. You know they already got 2024 Stanley Cup odds up. We'll have a little bit more on that later in the show. But Frank, last night the Stanley Cup was handed out, but Kind of, it was an anticlimactic finish, but almost kind of fitting considering how the last two rounds went, no?
4: Yeah, honestly, for the Golden Knights, this is basically as clean of a Stanley Cup run as you could draw up. So the fact that it was anticlimactic, probably, uh, as you said, fitting for a team that really never was not in control at any point during the, the entire playoffs.
0: Speaking of fitting, let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and talk about just how things went down last night in Vegas. And in a way, Frank, you look at this roster and you compare it to the one they started with six years ago when owner Bill Foley made the proclamation of playoffs in three, cup in six. Well, I mean, they made the playoffs year one. They went to the cup final in year one. But you look at that roster compared to now, there are not a lot of pieces that were a part of that initial expansion draft. I think we have a list up here. Marchessault, Carlson, Smith, Theodore, Carrier, and McNabb. But out of those core pieces, it's Jonathan Marchessault who ends up winning the Conn Smythe for his role and being named the MVP. That's kind of fitting, hey, that one of the original Golden Misfits gets that gets that award.
4: I love also that that's exactly who the Stanley Cup was passed through immediately after Mark Stone handed it off, is give it to those guys that have been there the longest. You heard Jonathan Marchessault talk after the game about it almost took him a full year to get over losing in that Stanley Cup final to the Washington Capitals in five games in 2018, and I think that's really what stands out with Marcia. So about his career, you heard their GM Kelly McCrimmon reference it before the series started: the first undrafted player since Wayne Gretzky to win the con Smythe, which, by the way, in parentheses, Wayne Gretzky. You know, I don't even know if I call him undrafted. Yes, of course, in the NHL he is, but it's kind of hard to even look at him that way. Um, This is an incredible accomplishment for a player that's always had a chip on his shoulder. He's never satisfied. He was always too small to play. Uh, Wasn't given the proper, um, you know, sort of runway to begin his career was always counted out. And then look at even the way that this cup final and clincher unfolds. It's kind of unbelievable that the team that the golden Knights end up beating with, Marsha So getting the Con Smythe and Riley Smith scoring the Stanley Cup clinching goal was against the Panthers because they were expansion casts off from the Florida Panthers. So uh, I've called it the gift from Dale Talon that keeps on giving for the Vegas Golden Knights. And you really see the impact of that entire original Golden Misfits, the original six, so to speak. Um, it, it's, It's that plus the conviction that the golden Knights had to go out and be aggressive to get Jack Eichel and Alex Petrangelo and Mark Stone, three players that were up for grabs for anyone in the entire NHL that they land in Vegas because of their pursuit. When everyone else was counting them out because of cap issues or uh, you know, I'm scared of the Jack Eichel surgery with his neck. The golden Knights were like, these are the players we want to build around. So they, they said goodbye to a lot of guys and and were really an unpopular, almost ruthless team with how aggressively they built it, not just by way of the cap, but also by way of the pieces that they said goodbye to. And that conviction to win a Stanley Cup in six years and put the pedal to the metal, I love how aggressive they were in attacking it.
0: And also, let's talk about Mark Stone a little bit, the captain of this team, hoisting up that Stanley Cup. And what a game for him. That felt like a night where he sat there and said, I'm going to make sure, I'm personally going to make sure this series ends tonight.
4: Yeah, and almost quite literally did that, uh, matching the Florida Panthers in goals with the hat trick. And it was awesome to see him kind of continue to go after the empty netter to to get there. The passion, the fire, I've said before, Stone is the emotional leader of this team, the heartbeat. When he was out of the lineup, you could notice a significant difference in the Golden Knights with him not there. And I think that's the other sort of, as you talk about Jack Eichel and his path with the neck surgery, what Mark Stone has been through with the back surgeries, it's really kind of incredible that he was even able to get out there and play, you know, sort of saunters out of the locker room with one week to go in the regular season, back on the ice for practice, and making an immediate infract from the time that he stepped on the ice in round one.
0: We'll touch more on the gold Knights a little bit later. Our pal, Mike McKenna is going to join us live from Vegas for our big segment today. But the fascinating part, Frank, about this, about the Stanley Cup final on one side, you have the jubilation on the other side, it's heartbreak, man, and that was really the case for Florida, who had to go into this game without their driver, their MVP, Matt Kachuk, and then to sit and watch Paul Maurice after the game go through the laundry list of injuries that Kachuk was playing through, the laundry list of injuries that Aaron Eckblad continued to play through, dating back to the Boston series as well. I mean, Frank, it, it, it's heartbreaking to see what happened in Florida, but at the same time, the future's bright there. Is this not a team that's built for future success?
4: I think they've put the Florida Panthers on the map. One of the most anonymous franchises in pro sports. They've now become a destination, I think. It was always sort of the sneaky, unreal place to live and play hockey. Now it's going to be unreal place to live, no state income tax, and oh, by the way, the team is really good now. And part of that is because you have someone like Matthew Kachuk choose the Florida Panthers, a franchise player that they can continue to build around fractured sternum at all it's unbelievable that he played in game four and scored a game tying goal with like one of those car accident type injuries uh with a fractured sternum so the fact that he was needed help getting his equipment on and knew that he couldn't do it for game five bananas to think about you mentioned the act injury but the amazing thing about where the panthers are tyler is they're building not for this year This year was just kind of, hey, whatever happened is a bonus. Let's try and get in as a seven or eight. A little bonus. Yeah, unbelievable bonus. They had uh, dead cap space that they were dealing with, uh, some tough contracts that they needed to wade through, including Patrick Hornquist. I mean, this is a team that made its last trade in December and really did nothing significant all season long because they weren't really sure that they were going to get in. They lose their way into the Stanley Cup playoffs by virtue of the Pittsburgh Penguins and their loss to the Chicago Blackhawks. And then they go on this magical run. Sergei Bobrovsky comes alive. And there's definitely some question marks to, that remain from that. But the core pieces that are around this team, knowing that you got your hands on a Matthew Kachuk, that was so significant for this franchise moving forward that it was like, let's get the guy that we really want and then let's worry about next year, next year. And so no one saw this run coming, beating the Boston Bruins, not just coming back from 3-1, but in game seven, down in the third period, tying it, winning it in OT, uh, the the flawless record that they had in OT in the entire playoff run. It was magic. It was Disney magic, so to speak. And it, it wore off in the finals and, and, and the injuries caught up to them. But, The way that this team is built, the cap space that they have moving forward, Florida is going to become now a go-to destination in the NHL because for too long they were just an also-ran, another team that was in the NHL that wasn't taken seriously by anyone. And I think they've completely changed the perception around the franchise with this run
0: comment in the youtube from our pal cedric who says the panthers don't have many big names to resign either so let's shift gears to what could be coming in the next few months for these two sides frank and we'll start with the panthers here you look 10 million dollars in cap space there are not a lot of major free agent pieces that they have to go pluck up or get locked up so what could they be looking to improve on here i look at this i go probably a defenseman am i mistaken for thinking that route
4: No, I think before these playoffs started, that's kind of what you looked at the Panthers, Tyler, and you were like, oh, they really need another defenseman. Montour had an unbelievable year. Forsling showed himself quite well. Gudis is an unrestricted free agent and a nice playoff piece. And then Ekblad, you were always kind of wanting a little bit more from this Panthers defense core, but then they found some little diamonds in the rough. Josh Mahora, waiver wire pickup, like, They've been able to add to this team um, in bits and pieces, incremental five percent win on the margin type moves. That now finally having some cap space and being able to tackle a defenseman with a Hornquist deal expiring, with the dead cap space from some buyouts expiring. That they've got to make a decision. I think in net, you know, it has the has Sergey Bobrovsky's play in the playoffs, Tyler. Opened up a window, a door for the Panthers to get off of that contract, or at least part of it. Would someone be willing to take Sergey Bobrovsky for the next three seasons at five million bucks or six million bucks? I don't know the answer, but the fact that it's even a question and a possibility, given where they were, you know, two months ago, fifty-nine days ago before this playoff run started, speaks to how well Bobrovsky played and the team played in front of him.
0: Shout-out to Josh Mahura, by the way, a good St. Albert, Alberta boy. Nice to know the Cup's going to come back to my hometown this summer, Frank. Uh, Just quickly before we touch on Vegas, Spencer Knight, could he maybe be on the move instead of Bobrovsky if they're looking for some extra money?
4: I don't think so. I don't think the Panthers want to trade Spencer Knight. I think there's also some question marks, frankly, uh, coming off of his trip to the player assistance program, uh, what we believe for mental health uh, reasons that probably unlikely – um, so that cap it is also pretty big. Like if the Panthers don't make any changes in net, you're talking about 14 and a half million dollars devoted to goaltending next season. And what does also that mean for potentially Alex Lyon? I don't know that you worry yourself or keep yourself up at night answering the Lyon question, but still nonetheless, a significant portion of their salary cap devoted to goaltending when you watch the Golden Knights in their run and you say part of that may have been system dependent but maybe you don't really need to spend a lot on goaltending.
0: Yeah. Uh, Just quickly a minute here on the Vegas Golden Knights in their off season. If Leonard stays on LTIR, we're talking about maybe $8.4 million. That could be enough to bring back both Barbashev and Hill. Frank, there's a chance the Golden Knights run back this same roster too.
4: Yeah. I think they're going to probably make some changes. I would be surprised if they don't try and find a suitor for someone like Alec Martinez, as clutch as he was in the playoffs for them. I think he really slowed down. Um, you know, at age 35 now with 5.25 million left. He spoke after the game, how, you know, trying the last year was with the concussion like symptoms that he had. Um, there's some other guys, you know, Barbashev, I, I have a hard time believing they're going to be able to find a way to afford him. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned Hill and, and the goaltending he's not going to get a Jordan Bennington like payday. Um, but I think the Golden Knights are going to be in pretty fine position when it comes to the goaltending space that they're going to have definitely at least one more crack at it with this core uh, to try and go out and and chase a repeat title.
0: Interesting stuff. It's officially silly season, Frank. Off-season time. You know me. I love this time of year. I love the rumors. I love the trade talk, all of that stuff. Uh, Quickly, before we talk about some more specifics, here are the important dates that fans are going to want to keep an eye on. The buyout window gets open in about 24, 48 hours here. Qualifying offers are due on June 30th. And then, of course, we have the NHL draft in Nashville coming up in two weeks' time as well. It's going to be an interesting run here through the month of June and into early July around the NHL. And we already got some news today, Frank, so I'll throw this your way. Jason Spezza, the AGM in Pittsburgh. Explain to me how they're hiring an AGM before they have a GM.
4: Yeah, it's a good question. I think it also probably gives you an indication of how much of a role Kyle Dubas will have in the entire process. And maybe they get to a spot where they don't actually hire someone for the GM position. Obviously something they're going to pick up in July, but um, I would think that you know, knowing Kyle Dubas is going to be the man at the controls for the next foreseeable future, meaning this critical period in which the Penguins – are going to be making some moves to try and get aggressive and get back in the playoffs for at least these next two seasons while Sidney Crosby's under contract there, um, that he's going to have a huge say. And so for someone that really wanted autonomy um, and, and fought for that with a president of hockey ops in Brendan Shanahan looming over his shoulder, that you know it's kind of odd that he would then put someone else in the same position that he was just in. But maybe this is more of a baseball or football type route where, you know, it's the president of the team that ends up really making a lot of the moves and the GM ends up not being a figurehead, but someone that certainly has a lot less notoriety. I also think there's something to the idea in Pittsburgh of that next GM that comes in might have to be the henchman, the person that delivers some bad news on some pretty tenured players. So maybe he doesn't want to wear any of that as well.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I'll put you on the spot with this one here. We saw, you know, the buyout window is the next sort of key date in the NHL offseason. But is there one story or one team that you're kind of watching with a raised eyebrow to maybe make the first big splash?
4: Yeah, I think everyone's curious what's happening in Winnipeg. Uh, I I still think there's a really good chance greater than 50 percent that all four of the key pieces that they have that are out there. Hellebuck, Shifley, Wheeler, Dubois, they could all be playing somewhere else by October, the Calgary Flames and and the key questions that they have with their um, pending UFAs one year from now. and then also the Toronto Maple Leafs, the pressure that may ramp up to try and get Austin Matthews signed by July 1 when his no trade clause kicks in. How does that all play out? Like those are just three Canadian teams that I think you look at and you say, man, There's a lot that could potentially happen there. In addition to some of the other new faces that we've seen around the league and the Mike Babcock, Yormo Kekalainen tandem, for instance, uh, already uh, significantly adding to that team as well.
0: Interesting stuff. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more off season towards the end of the show in our inbox question. I see we got some good ones in on the YouTube as well, but there was one man who said the cups on the line in Vegas. I need to be there. And it's Mike McKenna. Let's get to him live from Las Vegas. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
3: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, It's a a t-shirt.
3: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
0: Former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, who was in the building last night as the Golden Knights hoisted their first franchise. Stanley Cup, yes, a Red Bull in the morning. You probably had a bit of a long night, Mike McKenna. Let's talk about the vibes in the arena. We, we set off the start like you almost couldn't have scripted it any better. Your captain gets the hat. Ring. A member of the original Golden Misfits line captures the Smythe, and you do it on home ice. What was it like in that building last night?
1: Well, first off, if anybody throws me against the boards, I'm going to piss all over myself. But aside from that, um, Mark Stone was everything you could ever want in a captain last night. And, and you can really see why he was the targeted player for this team in a lot of ways. He's always been the heartbeat since he got here. And when he took on that captaincy, it took it to another level. But it really went through the entire lineup. I was sitting there in the first period with some friends, and I'm going, this could be 7 nothing." And you're looking at the odd man rush. Is just streaming towards Sergei Bobrovsky. And it wasn't even close. And the vibe in that building, really, the moment that the Golden Knights scored their third goal, when Alec Martinez came down the wing and shot and, and beat Bobrovsky, that's when it started to pop. And then Smith's fourth goal, man, from that point forward, it was like motorhead loud in that building, man. It was an absolute party from warm-ups till the end, but that Smith goal sent it into a frenzy.
4: Yeah, to be expected, I'm sure the party was quite good after as well, Mike. Um, did the right person, did the right guy win the Smythe Trophy? I really wrestled with my vote. I ended up going with Jack Eichel. I respect and understand um, the significance of the goals that Marcia So scored. 10 of the 13 that he put in the back of the net either tied the game or gave the Golden Knights the lead. What would you have done with a ballot had you had one?
1: Uh, You know, I went into the series with Marcheseau as my pick. So selfishly, I want to say that he was the guy who deserved it. And you do get it by scoring goals. But I think Marcheseau was even a little surprised when it was handed to him because, I mean, it's almost like the last game was completely discounted. You know, Stone's... Oh. number of points that he put up throughout the entire playoffs with the two-way effort that he put in, I think by the end of last night's game, it probably should have been Jack Eichel. It was close, though, with Vegas. Uh, they had a lot of players that, that contributed so much. There wasn't a clear-cut champion, but I do think that you know my tone had probably changed to thinking Jack Eichel was the player that should have hoisted it, but Marshall, so with his goals, it's hard to argue it.
0: I want to wrap this up with a question about Aiden Hill, and I'm going multiple choice for you, Mike, to make it easy. Was Aiden Hill, A, a guy who just went on an insane two-month heater, B, a product of the team in front of him, or C, a guy who just established himself as a number one?
1: Uh, B because I don't think Aiden Hill's shown anybody that he is a true number one in the NHL just yet. I can't wait to see where his contract negotiations go because I think Vegas just proved to themselves in their eyes, probably that goaltending doesn't matter a whole lot. And they got Thompson next year for under a million dollars. So, um, I think if anything, he'll prove that he can be a solid one a option in this league, but until he does it over the full course of a season, I think there'll be a hesitancy from any front office.
4: Micah, just where do the Golden Knights go from here? You've spent a lot of time around that organization. You know the pull uh, and push that they had to try and get this over the finish line and win the Stanley Cup. Uh, as aggressive as a front office and organization, as you'll see on so many different fronts, from the way they entered the league to how they you know, shaped their roster since then, does some of the push, you know, sort of come off of this now because they've captured what they wanted to? Or is it is it going to be pedal down to try and get another one?
1: No, they're going to go for it again. That's the, in the back of the jersey. It says always advance, never retreat. They're not done. The person I feel sorry for is William Carlson. He just won a Stanley Cup. But I feel sorry for him. You know why? Because the original prophecy was Cup and six, but when Will Carlson signed his extension with the Vegas Golden Knights, he was told by owner Bill Foley he expected two Stanley Cups by the end of that contract. So the pressure's on Wild Bill. If he doesn't produce, he's going to be out of here. But realistically, though, guys, like th- this team's built pretty well for the long haul. They'll probably I heard you guys before, they'll probably lose Barbashev. they, they got to figure out what's going to happen in gold, but they're returning most of these players. The question for me is is health. Can they stay healthy with, you know, can Mark Stone continue to play at the level he does and others for the next two, three years for this window? I think they can, uh, but they're going to have to be able to retool probably a couple years down the road.
0: Fantastic stuff, Mike. Appreciate you getting up nice and early in the Pacific time zone to join us here and enjoy the rest of your time in Vegas. Went along to our daily face off inbox question hashtag ask DFO. we wanted Mike to just get back to bed. We didn't we didn't need his final thoughts. Uh we got this one in the chat from G Sip Frank who said you know outside of Vegas winning the cup he re- gave us his five biggest stories of the year. He said the Bruins record season, the Panthers completely changing after the making the playoffs, the Coyotes drama, the Ottawa drama and the Jacob Chicerin drama. When you look back at the 2022-23 season, outside of vegas winning the cup what's going to be the number one storyline you remember
4: oh um man there's a lot that happened the nhlpa got a new executive director and marty walsh the mitchell miller incident that happened with the bruins um go through the list like it's no shortage of things to talk about um i don't know i i'd probably say you know it at this moment in time, um, just sort of the big boom in business, the the almost billion-dollar price tag for the Sens is is a huge line that the, the NHL has never really gotten close to before, let alone for a small-market Canadian team. Um, the Coyotes thing kind of looms large as well, but I would say – The biggest thing that you kind of take away from this playoff run specifically was also you look at the four teams that made it to the conference finals, sort of non-traditional hockey markets that, for whatever reason, a lot of people up north and elsewhere viewed as something that wasn't attractive. Probably a big thing that helps the NHL continue to grow in those places. I mean, consider this, the Florida Panthers – had been in spots before where they didn't sell out playoff games. And in the playoffs this year, they were selling out watch parties in their own arena. So those things matter. And like I said, I I think a franchise like Florida, even though they've been around for 30 years, is now on the map again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other question we had here was, which team will be the star of the offseason? I'm not letting you answer Winnipeg again, Frank, because I know we touched on that in topic four. But think back to last summer when we came out of the offseason in September. It was the summer of Brad, right? Brad Tree living, finding a way to bring in Huberto and Uyghur. I thought it
4: was the summer of Pierre. Everyone was talking about Pierre Dorian and the Sens.
0: Yeah, there was that too. So who's going to be the star of this offseason, Frank?
4: Um, well, I, I still think I know you said you're not going to let me answer it. If he wanted to, the rest of the NHL could be eating out of the palm of Kevin Chevaldeo's hand with both the premier goaltender and premier center on the market in Hellebach and Dubois. Um, if we look further south to the U.S., uh, I have a feeling the Detroit Red Wings are going to be sneaky aggressive uh trying to get into the into a playoff spot same thing with the buffalo sabers with all the cap space they have and then you've got teams going the other direction the philadelphia flyers are going to be selling off pieces left and right i would think uh how quickly can they get to the bottom is the key and i don't know it seems like already having ivan Provorov moved out the flyers have taken a step in that direction so it's always interesting to look at some of the teams going the other way instead of trying to build.
0: $30 million in cap space for Steve Eiserman will be fascinating to see how he uses that. Tons of money in Buffalo, like you said, as well. Uh, let's move along to our Botano Daily Bets. One last time, Frank, we end the year of Botano Daily Bets by taking a look at next year's Stanley Cup odds. And you look at what Botano has up. The top three teams are all Western Conference teams. Colorado and Vegas at 9-1. to Edmonton at 11 to one. I'm trying not to be the guy who hosts Oilers nation every day and not be a homer, but Frank, they've lost to the eventual Stanley cup champions two years in a row. Am I insane for thinking next year could be the Oilers year? And at 11 to one, I actually think that's good value.
4: No, I saw a tweet this morning from Jack Michaels that really kind of drove home the point. And it was late in game five series tied to, two, Oilers and golden Knights tied and the Golden Knights go ahead and win that game and end up winning the series, that's, you know, I, I saw some people saying on Tuesday night, congratulations to the Oilers for being this year's runner-up. I don't know that that's totally accurate, even though I, I had the feeling the whole time that whoever came out through the West was going to be in the prime position to win it. Um, so I, I I would have said before this you know, playoffs ended, if you were to look at and predict who would be the cup, the odds on cup favorite to win in 2024, I would have said the Oilers certainly ahead of the abs. Like I like the pieces that the abs have, but they have some really significant holes, especially with Landis Cog not playing next year. Yeah. That also creates cap flexibility, but they weren't deep enough this past year and they're going to need to get a lot deeper this summer in order to get there. So I don't, I certainly wouldn't have them in a prime position, and I just think it's so hard for the Vegas Golden Knights to repeat. So, if you want to throw those odds up there again, if I were shaping the odds board, I would have the Oilers uh, at the very top. And if you're looking for a, you know, sort of bargain buy, a, a, a bet, a long shot bet to win, and you're putting down some money today, um, my money would be on the LA Kings at 19 to one.
0: Yeah, I like that Kings bet at 19-1. to You just think about how the perspective on them will change. If they were to land a hellebuck or a high-end goalie, it'd be an absolute game-changer for them. Uh, just quickly, one more on this, Frank, since we have a little bit of time at the end of the show. Well,
4: also, um, I like the Minnesota Wild at 39-1. to Really? Yeah, I mean, look, that's a 100-plus point team from last year that I think is only going to get better again this year as they try and get through their cap hell. So I, I do like the-, the Wild a lot.
0: Okay, well, now I have two more questions for you. We know there's one GM with a bunch of first-round picks who doesn't like sitting on his hands, and it's Doug Armstrong in St. Louis. What about the Blues at 59-1? to
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I I could see that, but I still think the first step is making the playoffs. And yeah, maybe the first step for the Wild is winning around, which they haven't done in a while. But still, um, the Wild, I think, are a pretty firm playoff team. I don't see them going anywhere, whereas I think it's a question as to whether the Blues get in at least to answer right now, because we don't know what they're going to do yet.
0: Uh, and then the other one I had for you was looking at the Eastern Conference. I mentioned the top three on the odds boards, all in the West. And then you have at 12 to 1, the group of the Canes, Leafs, and Devils. And then 14 to 1, Bruins, Panthers, Lightning. I'm surprised the Panthers aren't in that first group at 12 to 1. Is there anyone in the East you like?
4: Yeah, I'm surprised that the Rangers aren't higher up too. Like they've got the goalie in Shesterkin, the NARS trophy winner in Fox. Plus their forward group is already pretty strong and they've got a coach that's found immediate success in Peter Labiolette. Like why are the Rangers way further down the list at 19 to one? Do you mean to tell me, I know they lost to the devils this year, but the Rangers don't have as good a shot as anyone in that group to get through.
0: Good point. I don't hate that one either. Interesting stuff. And it's going to be an interesting summer. Frank, let's wrap up the show with a little bit of garbage time. What do you got for me today?
4: So I've covered a bunch of Cup Finals, I think thirteen, and I wasn't in Vegas for the conclusion of this one, and I just I love it's one of my favorite days of the year, not just because it puts a great bow on the season, but also just because of the emotion that's in everyone, and maybe this one was a little bit anticlimactic, but. You saw on the bench, I think with almost 10 minutes left, and the score obviously way out of hand in favor for the Golden Knights, almost felt like Bruce Cassidy was tearing up then. And I'd love to know what he was thinking about and what a long road that it was since then. But just going through all of the different pieces on this Golden Knights team, whether it was Marsh or so, and, and the adversity that he's overcome to get to this spot in his career, winning the con Smythe, or Jack Eichel and the surgeries, Mark Stone going from Ottawa to Vegas, Kelly McCrimmon, probably, I'm sure, thinking about his brother who passed away in the locomotive plane crash. You know, George McPhee, how many times is he going to be a runner-up previously in his career as general manager? 1994, 98, go through the list. Like, there were so many times um, that he'd fallen short, 2018, against the Caps, his former team, to then finally get over the hump and get your name on the Stanley Cup. And it's not just the people around you that helped you do it. I love when they open up the Zamboni doors and everyone's family comes on the ice and you see Jack Eichel hug his dad and how close they are. Like it just every single time it punches me right in the feels. And I'm telling you, there are a number of Stanley cup finals where the cup has been awarded and you see the emotion. And like me, like I'm like choking back tears myself because you just know how much, People have poured into that exact moment, and to see them get to that and achieve it, there's something so incredibly powerful about that.
0: You're an emotional guy, Frank. You're a big teddy bear. I am. Like, Uh, quite literally uh, big. Let me also give you the quote of the night from Phil Kessel talking to, I believe it was the Hockey News. He says, takes me back to my Toronto days. You guys said I couldn't win, and now I'm a three-time champ. Remember that. Phil Kessel with the little put some respect on my name, Frank.
4: Love to see it. I can't wait to see Phil eating hot dogs out of the cup again this summer.
0: Yeah, and uh, also I want to wrap up the show by sending my thoughts to all the people affected by the Bell layoffs. Obviously, uh, close with me being here in Edmonton and TSN 1260 shutting down. Everyone who was affected by the athletic layoffs as well earlier in the week. It's uh, been a tough, tough time in our industry as well. And our thoughts are with uh, everyone whose jobs were affected in the last couple of days here. Uh, Shout out to everyone in the YouTube chat. Thanks for tuning in today. The cup has been handed out, but there is still a lot to get to on our show with plenty of off-season talk coming up every day at noon Eastern. We'll chat with you again tomorrow. But there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear. And you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold,